<clears throat> well, uh, we've been working our way through First Peter, and uh, we are still in chapter one. Uh, only one message to go in chapter one, though. We're going to begin reading at uh, verse 13 in chapter 1 of 1 Peter and read down to the end. But we're focusing on verse 22. Let's hear God's word as we find it now in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... Excuse me. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout this time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with precious things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its flower all its glory like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you this is God's own Holy Word. Please do have a seat. Young people, uh, very young people. <laughs> um, my brother Fred um, and I uh, were separated by nine years. He was nine years older than me. And um, he used to live in New Mexico, which is about 1,800 miles. That's a very, very long way from here. So uh, we were separated by years, and we were separated by distance, a long, long way. But we were brothers, and we were brothers twice. You know how we were brothers twice? Yes, because we were born in the same family, and we were both believers in Jesus. We were both born again through the power of God. And I loved my brother. I loved him a lot. But knowing that he was a Christian, 
um, my love for him grew even more. So you can love your mom and dad because they believe in Jesus. And you can love your sister. You got one. Uh, uh, because they're, they belong to Christ. Uh, and you can pray for them. So we're going to hear about how we love one another. So let's pray that God will help us do that, okay? Father in heaven, please um, help us to think about what it means to love each other deeply, um, not in the uh, way that the world thinks about love today, but according to your word. Please help us because of what you've done in loving us in Christ. We pray that this would be blessing to all of us to think about these things as we come in Christ's name asking for your Holy Spirit to work. Amen. It shouldn't come as any flash of news to you that Christians don't get along. Um, Christians can sit in the same church for years and always sit on this side and not on that side because they don't like the people on that side. Uh, and there are people who uh, will not talk to each other in church. They'll walk right by each other. Um, sometimes it's gotten out of hand. And this actually happened over in Virginia Beach. Things got so out of hand at a church meeting that they called the police to separate people because they were fighting. So, uh, like, like we see in the Bible... Uh, this should not be. But it is. We read the uh, the famous verses there in uh, John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you that you also love one another by this. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, think about what Jesus is saying there. He's saying that people will know that you're Christians not by how much scripture you can quote, though it's a good thing to be able to read the Bible and memorize it. That people will not say, well, that person's a Christian because of how much they pray, though it's certainly a good thing to pray. And uh, people will not say you're a Christian because you go to a church that has a lot of good doctrine, though good doctrine is really important. He says it's because you love each other. How do you evidence that love? Well, Peter tells us there, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, Peter's been talking about being holy. He has spent the last few verses talking about uh, being holy because God says, I'm holy, you, you be holy. Now, we sent, sometimes separate the idea of, of being holy from being loving. 
sometimes there are people who are so strict they think that they're being very holy uh, that they don't want anybody else to touch them almost because they're trying to live this holy life but that's not what God's talking about because both love and holiness are are both there in God's character in fact when the Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 4 talks about the character of God it says God is a being in wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Um, goodness and holiness are there. And the goodness of God is the fountain for God's love. God loves because he is good. He does good and show, so he shows his love. And the supreme thing that he does is send Jesus. Hebrews 10, uh, 12, verse 10 says, We are called to share in his holiness. Now, we saw in the uh, confession of faith that that doesn't mean we become gods ourselves, but we share in his holiness because uh, we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And we heard something about that in the Sunday school lesson uh, today. We're to be obedient children to uh, live lives that evidence we belong to Christ. So let's look at verse 22. Look at what is commanded, why it's commanded, and how this commandment is done. What's commanded, why it's commanded, and how this command is to be done. I think it was Jack Miller, one of my professors uh, in seminary, who said the idea of romantic love didn't really begin until the Middle Ages when you had um, sonnets and you had the knight taking the uh, the token from his lady love and going out to battle, that kind of thing. And then it just increased when you got to the Elizabethan period and you had Shakespeare and the other writers writing sonnets about romantic love. Then that just increased. And, and so we have this idea of love that's really a distorted idea of what the Bible talks about. The romantic love where you're overcome with uh, this emotion about this this one person is not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible doesn't have that kind of thing. Instead, God will just say, "Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives by serving her, by giving yourself to her, and and denying yourself for her." Paul doesn't say, are you attracted to this woman? When she walks in the room, is your heart beating a little bit faster? But instead, he says, you're just to love her as Christ loved the church. Now, Peter commands Christians to love one another. It's a imperative statement. 
he says, love one another. There in verse 22. That idea of loving one another is the agapao or agape love, which is the self-denying, other-centered love uh, that marks out God's love for us. Peter will talk about love a number of times, but we have to look at the uh, Apostle John if we want to see some of the key things there. And we don't have time to look at 1 John 3, 16 to 18, or 1 John 4, 7 to uh, 10. But just listen to this one, because this is sort of the, the baseline for us to think about love. We love because he first loved us. It's not that human beings have within themselves this great capacity to love. It's because God himself has become the one who demonstrates, uh, exercises love. He exercises his love by his son dying on the cross in our place. Think about the self-giving character of the love of God in redeeming his people. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and Jesus demonstrates it. He demonstrates the greatest love possible. Now, Peter gives this command to the entire church. Now, these believers, if you look back there uh, in verse uh, 1 of this chapter, they are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So they're scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor. And scattered throughout Asia Minor, they don't have the natural connections that, that we might have. We grow up in the same town sometimes. Um, we know the people that we grow up with uh, or people that we've known for a long time. Instead, these exiles are coming from all over uh, and they belong to Christ because of his saving work. Now, it's easy for us to feel comfortable and loving towards those who are like us. Aren't, aren't we finding ourselves always kind of gravitating to that person who has shared interests with us? They maybe have a shared background with us. Um, you know, I see it again and again in churches. People form cliques. They don't intend to, but they do. Um, and after church, it'll always be the same group of people talking to the same people. <laughs> and they do that Sunday after Sunday, not maliciously or with any kind of mean intent, but they just feel most comfortable. Um, maybe you think about the people you witness to. Uh, do you find it easy to, to witness to somebody who's unlike you, who doesn't have uh, some kind of background that you can build on, uh, some things that you can uh, carry on a conversation? You know, you get into a conversation with some folks and, and it's very one-sided and you can tell that they really are not comfortable talking to you. Uh, I've had people, <laughs> I don't know whether it's my breath or what, but they take a step back <laughs> when, 
when they're talking to me and they continue to retreat because they simply don't want to talk to you. Um, and then you go and you say, well, I'll talk to these people because they seem to be comfortable with me. Uh, but we're commanded to love one another and and we're commanded to deny ourselves and give up our own self-interest being at ease. That's, I think, one reason why we find the charge against Reformed churches again and again that we aren't loving, that we're cold, chosen, frozen, um, that we have our doctrine straight, but if you really want to be around some people who love you, you have to go someplace else. Joni and I had a man, we administered to him in prison, and when he got out of prison, we had him over to our house, and we spent a lot of time with him, um, and we were you know, introducing him to the church and the church loved him and everything. But, you know, after a while, he he left. I don't think it was because we did something wrong. I think he was looking for people who were more like him. People who had struggled with addiction, uh, with divorces and uh, with some of the background that he had. Um, in the OPC, sometimes... Um, we do everything we can, and yet we find that people don't stick stick around. So maybe we need to make sure that we're not expecting them to be like us. We're elect strangers. We're risen aliens. And so um, we love because God is at work in our lives. It's through faith in Jesus Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit that we even come to faith in Christ, uh, that we have the new life. And so we don't love one another simply because we're working harder. It's because a mark of what it means to be Christ's. The mark of the Christian, what actually Francis Schaeffer called it, is our love visible? Do people know that we're a loving church? Well, what do we do? Why is it commanded? Well, Peter is going to talk about this again and again. He he says in chapter 2, verse 17, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We love the brotherhood. Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So again, you have brotherly love. And finally, in chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, Peter has written this because God intends to work in the believer. When our hope and faith are in Christ, God will work in our believer, in the believer's heart. He says we're to uh, purify our souls. Now, that again sounds like work, but the idea of uh, purifying yourself is really to put yourself under the hearing of something. Um, that's the idea of obedience is uh, translated. And so it's the word of God that he's going to talk about in verses 23 to 25 uh, that we put ourselves under. 
we put ourselves under that word and we're to uh, thirst for that word. Uh, you look at the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, we're to thirst for it like uh, children thirsting for milk, uh, hungry uh, to have uh, that milk given to us. So we are to thirst for the word of God uh, and that word of God as we sit under it changes us. The command to love comes because God does work. He does work through his word and and when his word is at work in our lives then people are transformed. The Christian isn't a self-made person. We're not uh, coming to this because we've somehow made ourselves better. Uh, that's the way that it is in the Mormon church, in the LDS church. You've got to work uh, to uh, keep up with the appearance. And Joni and I read the story of a Mormon family that, that fell apart when one of the sons became a Christian. They, they had the whole LDS lifestyle down and they were doing it completely, totally into it. Uh, they served in the local church. They were baptized for the dead. They wore the special underwear. They had the temple commands that they obeyed. Everything, it was a, a life of endless duty uh, that they were involved in. Endless expectations and they were endlessly falling short. But then it wasn't because they reached the pinnacle. It's because one of the sons became a Christian and then the whole family fell apart. And when it fell apart as Mormons, uh, people stopped coming to visit them, bringing meals and so forth. So they became outcasts. And, and that's the way it can be in the Christian life too. You know what happens when one child goes off the rails. Uh, everybody takes a step back from that family. They know that something's wrong with that family. And It happened in a Southern Baptist church. Had one of the prominent pastors had a daughter and son, a uh, baby, uh, uh, a daughter with a grandchild, and they had to have a blood transfusion. And the blood transfusion was tainted with HIV. And so it came out that this pastor's daughter had HIV, and suddenly, he was no longer popular pastor. No longer were people going to him, talking to him. That's what happens sometimes in the church. We have to be so aware of these things. We have so much that binds us together when we belong to Christ. When we belong to Christ, our sins are forgiven. <coughs> Even though my sins are many, and my sins can rise up and accuse me all the time, they're forgiven in Jesus Christ. They are covered over. As a recent song says, they're cast into a sea without shore, bottom or shore. 
They're not brought up again by God. What an amazing thing to be forgiven in that way. When we're all forgiven in that way, why do we stand apart from one another? Why do we not treat one another with the love that we should? Because we don't have anything to to fear that they're going to find out about us that we're sinful. We declare that. We declare that we're sinful by, by just being Christians. So we can come to each other. And brotherly love, as John Calvin said, is the core of a rightly formed life. Well, Peter gives us three things that he mentions in this passage. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere love, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from pure heart. So you have sincere, you have earnest, earnestness, and you have a purity. Now, a lot of things mask themselves as love. We had experience of a person who went to to a university. At the university, there was something called the Boston Church of Christ. Boston Church of Christ is a is a cult, and these this person was surrounded by members of the Boston Church of Christ, and they said, "Come on." We're going to have a Bible study tonight. We'll have dinner too. You know, come on over to the house. And they called him up in the morning. And he said, what you doing today? Let's get together today. And when he was planning to go to, to classes, they say, yeah, after class, I'll meet you right after class. And we'll go out and have some coffee. And it's called love bombing. Where you just surround a person and you just do everything you possibly can. Well, that's not what Peter's talking about. Because he says it's love that's sincere, or the old translation says unfeigned. Um, it means not hypocritically or unhypocritically, or love that's genuine. Love that's genuine doesn't have a lot of additions to it, a lot of provisos. I, I love you if you do this for me. Uh, or if everything in your life matches up with where my life is. This happens again and again in situations where in a church where you have a lot of babies, there's one family that doesn't have any, uh, one couple that doesn't have any children. And you know what that person feels like when she's invited to all the baby showers and everybody's talking about all the baby things that they're doing and she doesn't have anything to say and unfeigned love is love that has a sincerity to it because it's focused on the person it's focused on uh, what's going on in their lives what's what's needy for them because again agapao is that self-denying self-giving love The old commentator Robert Layton said, 
there is so little of this purifying obedience to the truth um, of the gospel once it flows because faith unfeigned, unhypocritical, would beget this love unfeigned. In other words, if we have a faith that's a genuine faith, a sincere faith, if if we're looking at Christ as the, the source and the hope of our, our lives, then we're able to love one another with unfeigned love. And it's love that's out of the heart. He says, love, er, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Um, this love is sincere because uh, the, the, the heart has been truly transformed by Christ. Christ has replaced the, the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. Um, the Christian no longer looks at themselves as making themselves acceptable to God, but they say, my acceptance is in Christ and, and able, I'm able to extend myself towards the other person. Uh, I'm to love the brethren out of the heart, the new heart that God gives. And Jesus talked about that um, somewhat in Matthew chapter 5, where he said, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so we're to love with uh, sincere, uh, unfeigned hearts, uh, love that's a purified love uh, that is extended towards others. Then finally, uh, Peter says we're to love one another earnestly. Uh, love one another earnestly. Uh, this is the, the word uh, that means to reach out, uh, to stretch out uh, like a bowstring uh, that is strung and, and there's tension upon it. Um, there's a related word in, in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 5, which is translated as without ceasing. We, we're ready to love and show love, to not be slothful in love but to uh, love in an intense and active way. Um, we get burned out oftentimes by loving other people, and, and we need help. Uh, that's why when you have a diagonal case, it's good to have the whole church involved or at least a, a team involved. We had one situation where we had a woman, and um, she was a diabetic, she ate junk food all the time. Um, uh, her house was falling down around her and she, she didn't want anybody doing anything uh, to her house because she liked where everything was. Uh, she was under doctor's orders, but the, the doctor's orders were um, abused and ignored most of the time. And she was always blaming other people. She never showed any grace to people. Now, the people who were ministering to her were very, very kind, very, very loving towards her. But as we discussed it, we came to the conclusion that she wasn't converted. She wasn't responding to the word of God. And, and so the next stage was evangelism. <laughs> uh, 
and and you have to do that sometimes. You have to realize that the person you're um, trying to minister to is really not a Christian at all, and you don't you don't have that common ground of Christ. So um, you start with evangelism there, uh, but for the rest, can we love others earnestly or extend ourselves or put ourselves out there, stretch out and, and get past the, well, that person gossiped about me or um, that person uh, was um, impatient with me, that that person was avoiding me or, or something like that. Are we willing to truly pursue them in love? Uh, maybe not uh, be obnoxious to them, but really do love them. Uh, we can love uh, earnestly only when Christ is the center of our life and when we ourselves have been born again. Well, there are so many things to say about love and we're thankful that Scripture has so much to tell us if we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and, and other passages like Colossians 3. Um, but let me just close with a, a hymn that was written by a count uh, von Zinzendorf. Now, if you don't know about uh, Count von Zinzendorf, he was the leader of uh, what are called the Moravians, and uh, he was. Uh, this was about 300 years ago, and he was very uh, discouraged with how the state church uh, was really not showing the love that uh, Christ commanded, <clears throat> and he he wrote this hymn. Uh, that goes like this. Christian hearts in love united search to know God's holy will. Let his love in us ignited more and more our spirits fill. Christ the head and we his members, we reflect the light he is. Christ the master, we disciples, he is ours and we are his. Grant, Lord, that with your direction, love each other, we comply. Help us love in true affection, your love to exemplify. Let our mutual love be glowing brightly so that all may view that we on one stem growing, living branches are in you. Come then, living church of Jesus, covenant with him anew. Unto him who conquered for us, may our pledge our service, may we pledge our service true. May our lives reflect the brightness of God's love in Jesus shown. To the world we then bear witness, we belong to God alone. To love one another deeply from the heart comes because we have been loved by Christ. And so we always begin with the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you'll help us to love one another. We pray that as uh, we look forward to uh, the walkers coming, uh, they'll find a church ready to love them and to welcome them uh, and to serve them. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you'll have mercy um, and bring people uh, that we might love and serve uh, and help us as we love and serve one another uh, to do it from unfeigned, sincere, earnest hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.